So let's just open in prayer. Just honor you, Lord. We yield to your word. Your word is truth. We open our ears as much as we know how. We open our hearts to receive the word. We ask that you would cause growth. We ask that you would bring life to this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to try and finish actually chapter 2 today, and I'm going to do a bit of a history lesson. Hopefully I won't put anyone to sleep, but the language that Paul uses in the text, his audience would be very familiar with. Keep in mind, he's already been there in prior over two and a half years, so he has laid a real foundation in at least the key people and the leaders that are there. But language like Jew and Gentile, circumcised, uncircumcised, to the modern years are kind of foreign. Um, just the idea of what Christ has done and so on. So I want to give us a bit of, I want to step up and give us a bit of a context and by the grace of God efficiently explain some things. And I won't be able to go into everything, but give us some understanding behind what, what he's talking about and what he's done. So that when we actually go into the passage, there'll be a flow to it because of the history and the education. And forgive me, there's, there's probably many people here that know this through and through. I trust that you will still be blessed by reading of the Word of God. Now, if you recall, back in Genesis chapter 3, there was a problem in the garden. Adam and Eve sinned against God. And in the sinning against God, God pronounced a judgment on the serpent, on the woman, and on the man. Just it's really interesting when you go back and read it. But what I want to focus in on is he said something very interesting to the woman that on first cursory read overview, you would miss. And you could miss. And it's in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And he says this, And I will make enemies of you and the woman. Talking about to Satan. You and the woman. And of your offspring and her descendant, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. Familiar passage in the sense, you remember that? So, so he is saying to, to Satan that something would come out of the woman, and the word is, is Zora, it's, it's, it's seed. A seed would come out of, of the womb of a woman that would crush the head of the, the serpent. The seed, you must note, in this context is actually singular. So it's not seeds, but seed. And that's very important if you look into to later uh, into Paul in Galatians as he explains this more thoroughly. So we see that salvation starts, the plan of salvation starts in Genesis chapter 3 in the mind of God. And to me, it's a bit like a stone being skipped. And each time it touches the water, there's more revelation as you go through the scripture until it finally drops. So this is the first bounce, this prophetic word over Eve. We see, we see a stepping down, a gain of the rock, further development of the plan of salvation through a man. So we start to focus now into a man, Abraham. We have covered him a fair bit, but in Genesis chapter 12 and chapter 15 and 17, there's this further development and focus of what this is all about. And this man, Abraham, God is going to do something with this man. And he says in, in Genesis chapter 17, verse 1, when Abraham is 99 years old, he says this to him, the Lord appears to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. 
I will make my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. Exceedingly, Abraham fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you will be the father of many nations. And if you unpack what's going on in, 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 um, in, in this portion of Scripture, God promises him that he would not just be a father of one nation, but many nations. And of course, you know Ishmael, and you, and you, and you know Isaac. And, and God not only promises to expand them as nations, but give them land. And in the giving of the land, this would be from generation to generation. These are the promises. And it's a covenant that he makes, and it's an odd one if you're not familiar with it, and you're maybe new to the Christian faith of circumcision. I didn't make it up. I did, it's this, this is the scriptures. And God says this, this is my covenant. This is Genesis uh, uh, 17 which you shall keep between me and you, your descendants after you, every male among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. And so this would later become, the, the, the circumcised and the uncircumcised meant the Jew and the non-Jew. Now this was not taken lightly by God. It was taken a bit lightly by Moses in Exodus chapter 4, of course, if you recall, that God moved to strike Moses dead because he had not circumcised his son on the eighth day. And Zipporah, his wife, (coughs) excuse me, Zipporah, his wife, did it for him. Circumcision is a big deal. In fact, that was one of the biggest challenges Paul had with those converting from Judaism or the Jewish ways to Christianity is they kept wanting to bring circumcision with them. And this was the part of the covenant with Abraham, which is also called the Abrahamic covenant. Covenant, But out of him would come Israel. If you remember, Isaac has two sons. Isaac is Abraham's son. He has two sons, Esau, Jacob, and Jacob becomes Israel. And out of Israel, we start to see this, this unfolding promise of God just unfolding in Scripture. That which was spoken originally in Genesis chapter 3. But he says one interesting thing he said in, in Genesis 22 concerning us, the, those in the world. He said, And your seed in all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Now again, it's really important to understand. It's not in your seeds, plural, but in your seed. The, the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Remember he was, he was asked to ask, God commanded him to sacrifice Isaac. He, he obeyed, and because of the obedience, he can walk this out, this, this wonderful covenant. So, so we in the world are blessed through Abraham. And because of, the, you will hear it sometimes said, the salvation is from the Jews. Right? To the Jew first, but also to the Greek. So, so this is an important understanding as, as, as you navigate the New Testament. Because these terms will be used, and if you don't understand the context of them, it can be confusing at times. There's one other individual I think I should highlight here, and that is Moses, or Charlton Heston, here. Now, the, this came, the law came 430 years after the promise to Abraham. So Exodus 20 to the end of Exodus is what we're talking about here. It's called the Mosaic Covenant. It comes 430 years after the Abrahamic Covenant. It does not nullify, void, or replace the Abrahamic Covenant. And I will just, without getting caught into, because I can speak for hours about the law, etc., and its role, 
I will just uh, give you from Galatians 3.19. Galatians 3 is an incredible chapter. It will help you highlight what is going on and in, 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 in unpack the role of the law, uh, the Jews, etc. But he says this, Why then was the law given? It was a, came alongside the promise. It's key. It says the promise. Because that's what it was to Abraham. It was a promise to him. To show the people their sins. But the law was, was designed to last only until the coming of the child who was promised. Speaking of Jesus, God gave his law through angels and Moses, uh, who was the mediator between God and his people. So the law came to show people their sin. When we were on the streets and we were preaching the gospel, people come up and they say, I'm a good person. And you say, okay, well, take you through the law. You ever lied? Yeah, well, what does that make you? A liar. The, the law condemns. The law is righteous. It just can't impart righteousness. Right? So the law makes you try to verb yourself, verb, action, action, action. Paul said concerning the law that he was without blame, but he was still a noun unrighteous. Even though he, in the eyes of the law, at that time, he felt he had fulfilled it. So you will see that God is far more concerned with the, making the tree righteous than it bears righteous fruit. It's a critical uh, um, difference between the law, which is righteous, Romans chapter 3, and Jesus, who is righteous. He can make you righteous. You can be found in him. And that's why throughout Paul's epistles, it's in him, through him. It's complete occupation with Christ. It's not a righteousness of my own. By the works of the law. Because through the works of the law, no one's made righteous. It's a righteousness apart from the law. It's a righteousness bound in faith. Remember, Abraham believed God. So it's a righteousness of faith, in faith. I just want to touch down on one more thing here. And that is that the relationship of the Jews and the Gentiles. Throughout history. The promise to, was made to this man and the descendants after him, right? This is the nation of Israel. So Israel was a very exclusive people. God actually forbid them to intermarry. In fact, when he sent them into Canaan, he says, do not marry any of these other uh, men or women because you will adopt their gods. It wasn't that there wasn't room for foreigners to be proselytized. It just was not at all in the beginning that way. Naturally, the, the, the Jewish nation and, and those in Judaism became more evangelical as they went on to proselytize people. But there was provisions in the law for that. But God did forbid it. And the people saw themselves as very unique and special, which they are. And history proves that. But they often went overboard and spilled into the flesh, as we all can do. In fact, William Barclay has an incredible book called The Mind of Paul. And if you're interested in the mindset of, in particular, religious Jews at the time, of Paul's time, it's, it's very insightful. But I wanted to highlight sort of this expression that uh, of this division between non-Jew and Jew in what's called the court of the Gentiles. Now, if you know the Jewish uh, history of the temple in Jerusalem, it was rebuilt after Nebuchadnezzar had done going crazy on it, and, and it was rebuilt. And Herod, actually at the time, helped in its rebuilding. And he did a reno, and on the, in the reno was an outer court. And it was called the court of the Gentiles. So the Gentiles could kind of partake in fact, that's where they would sell their goods. Remember when Jesus overturned the money changers and stuff? A lot of that stuff, that means of exchange and so on, would happen in the court of the Gentiles. It wasn't considered sacred to the Jews. But you were not allowed to step a foot into the area 
exclusively for the Jews. In fact, there, there was a, uh, Josephus speaks of it, a historian, but they actually found a stone that says this on it that would be on the, above the balustrade um, to, to speak to all those who were about to enter. No foreigners to go beyond the balustrade and the plaza of the temple zone. Whoever is caught doing so will have himself to blame for, his, for that which will follow. The Jews took it very seriously. Even in Roman law, they were able to execute people for violating this. So there was extreme hostility. Because you imagine, you walk up, you go, hey, what's over here? It's like, boom. You ain't no Jew. Get out. You cannot step over this. And this was very much at the, at, at, festering at the time because if you actually remember in Acts chapter, uh, was it 21, the last time Paul's in Jerusalem, a part of the big turmoil was because they think he's taking a Greek into the, this area of the temple. And I'll read it for you verbatim. They stirred up the crowd and seized him, crying out, Men of Israel, help us. This is the man who teaches everywhere against our people, against our law, and against this place. Furthermore, he has brought Greeks into the temple and defiled the holy place. For they had previously seen him with Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, and assumed that Paul had brought him in. So, the Jews and the Gentiles, aren't, don't, they, they put up with each other. You have to, and when you, when you read a bit more of the history of the, the, the deep-rooted prejudice on both sides, deeply rooted, and, and you can transfer this to now to whatever prejudices you would have with all manner of nations and, and, and colors and men and women, etc., because there was also a temple part to the women as well, um, that what Paul is about to speak about here is way beyond what way beyond what we would experience. So hopefully a bit of the history of what's going on here will help illuminate uh, and give greater gravity to the scriptures we're going to read. And let's do that now. I'm going to get open up here. Ephesians chapter 2. Therefore remember, remember that we've just done last week, we just did this incredible scripture, by grace you have been saved through faith. And this this wonderful just, you know, the first 10, 10 verses of this book, Paul takes you from death to seated in heavenly places in Christ. But he goes, therefore, remember previously, don't forget. Don't forget that the, Jew, the Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision, we understand that now, by the so-called circumcision, which is performed with flesh in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the people of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope without God in the world. Remember that. Remember, it's like he said in Acts chapter 17 in Mars Hill, he says it's like they're groping around in the dark, hoping to finally maybe come across God. But they were alienated. The covenant promises were to Israel. Now Paul, was, of course, the natural question is, well, what was the benefit to Israel? Go read Romans chapter 3. But now in Christ, you must, in Christ, in Christ, you who previously were far away have been brought near by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. Now, okay, that's great, we're listening to it. Can you imagine back then in Ephesus? 
you understand that Christianity is, is plugging along. Paul had seen a revival there. But the Judaism and the religious beliefs in the synagogue are still going strong too. So you've got these two contradictions, as it were. One is by the works of the law. One is by faith in Christ alone who fulfilled the law. And you can imagine they'd be like, what, what are you talking? He's knocked down that balustrade. And it's like the court of the Gentiles, as it were, is spilling in with the, the Jews. He's knocked down the barrier in Christ. He himself is our peace. To make both groups into one. Hmm. He abolished, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace, that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby dealing with or killing the hostility. It's an incredible thing what Jesus Christ has done. And it's amazing. To, to, you can go deeper and deeper, and it's so tight. As you study the scripture, it's shockingly tight. I don't know how I'd say that differently, but it's just so consistent. And Paul himself, remember Paul was a persecutor of the church. Paul could not stand Christians. He pursued them with zeal. He had them put to death. He went before the Sanhedrin to get, to get to, as it were, laws or, or, or prescripts to be able to take them and, 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 and to imprison them and to threaten them. Paul was the full-blown manifestation of this hostility. Paul says this in Galatians chapter 6. Jesus, just as Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, therefore recognize that this is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Those who are of faith are the sons of Abraham. Abraham was the father of faith. When God said, if you stand upright before me, he did not give definition to that. He said, just believe me. Give me. He said, put, essentially put faith in what I'm saying. The scripture foreseen that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. Did you ever think about that being the part of the gospel? It says the scripture preached the gospel to Abraham. The good news. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. And that's wonderful. I grew up in a, in a church. We called ourselves believers because we believe. It's amazing. So, so it goes right back and you can see a skipping stone as you almost reverse engineer Jesus. Boom. He's in the in tribes of Israel, Judea. And then he go, he go bang, right back. To Abraham. I mean, you can go to obviously Jacob, which is Israel, and then you go to Isaac, and then the Isaac is the promise in Abraham. The promise was given. And then you can even go back to Genesis 3. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him, sorry, we got them, yep, sorry, okay. For through him we both have access. In one spirit to the Father. So your, your history, your DNA, earthly DNA, is irrelevant to God. God is not a respecter of persons. No one comes in and goes, oh, yep, you're in, no worries, it's covered. We all come through the one door, the one person. 
Our righteousness is not of our own, it's Christ. Everyone in this room, regardless of your background, the only way that you're saved is being found in Christ. Not a righteousness of your own. In other words, not by your own good works. Because the law will slay you of those good works, believe me. If anyone, we could talk after at the food court, we have at 12 o'clock, and just to take you through the law, the law will slay you. That's not the purpose of the law. The law was to show sin, to show our shortcomings. It is still righteous, though. So then, think of this. You are no longer strangers and foreigners, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. It always goes beyond. It's not just forgiven, but to be taken into the household. I mean, Paul drops some insane truth bombs here, first two chapters of Ephesians. Lord, give us revelation. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being fit to built together in a dwelling uh, of the God in the Spirit. Remember, Jesus was before the temple. It says, to, to, in three days it'll be tearing out, torn down, but in three days it'll be raised up. He's speaking of himself. Now we know that around AD 70, the temple was completely destroyed. And it was so destroyed, I, I, they were looking for gold and they, were, they would rip the, the, the stones off of each other. Because that temple is not what God is continuing in. You are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. So remember how you used to go, hey, kids, kids, it's Sunday, we're going to the temple. And you go to the temple and you go home. And, but now when you go home, he's still with you. God is still with you. And you're like, whoa, he's still here. It kind of changes everything where you see that Jesus is not really extending a religion. In fact, it's not religious at all. It's a kingdom. All the language he will use in the New Testament points to a kingdom, not a religion. But if you still try to acquire and to walk in in the mindset of a religious person, you will fall short of the good works that God has foreordained for you to fulfill. You will think that going to church is like going to the temple. It, we should be go- gathering together. But you have the Holy Spirit. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You can imagine the massive blasphemy to Paul when he first heard this in an unsaved state. Forgive me, it's, it's very brief, but you're trying to express with some pretty childlike <laughs> PowerPoints. But he brings both together in the covenant made with Abraham, one faith, one people, one Holy Spirit. We're no longer defined by our past. We're defined by who we are in Christ. So we're one nation, and through Christ, we now have access to the Father. This is, this is mind-blowing, to, to, particular to the hearers in Ephesians, Ephesus. Now, you can, you can understand why they hated him. They say, he's attacking. He's attacking everything we believe. He's attacking the temple. Remember, I just read it in Acts 21. Well, you start to see what he was doing. He was just like, boom. Remember, remember John the Baptist and the Pharisees send some guys out and he goes, you brood of vipers, who, who told you to free, flee the wrath to come? And he says, the, the axe is laid at the root. Now, the tree has still got a stump. 
And we just don't have time. There's still a stump there. But he takes the, the tree is taken down. He was coming and he was going to destroy their livelihood. Dude, I, I owe my life. I wanted to be a Pharisee. That's how I make my money. And you're destroying it. End of temple worship. The end of all attempts to fulfill the law. Think about that. End of all attempts to fulfill the law. He was, he was, he was proposing to the people a righteousness wholly separate from the law. In fact, he, he, he said, you can't even fulfill the law. And even if you could, it would not make you righteous. This is everything a contradiction to what the current religious uh, ideology was. He said, you know, the verbing, the action, the action was not enough. God wants to make the noun, you, a person, place, or thing. You, because noun's verb, and you could try and get the actions, the verbing, but it's, it's you he's concerned about, making you righteous. And you're made righteous when you put your faith in Christ. And it will always forever be, by grace you have been saved through faith. It is a gift of God, not of works. Or you could boast. And they did boast. They got the phylacteries going. They talked about how long they prayed. They talked about how many visitations they had from angels. They talked about how much they... It's this, this sort of checklist. But it was a righteousness in themselves. This is the crux of the gospel. This is what it's about. God clearly, again, does not... Something he doesn't care. God loves nationalities. Because it says men from every tribe, tongue, and nation will be worshiping in, in, in Revelation 5 before the throne. So he loves nationalities, but we all bleed into one being defined. That's why when you meet a Christian from another country and they love Christ like you love Christ, there's an instant connection. I know Esther and I, I don't know how much Esther understands, but when I'm talking to Esther, that woman loves the Lord. Even when she prays, I asked her to pray in, in Mandarin. When she prays in Mandarin, I'm like, whoa, Lord. Because it's a spirit, the same spirit. We're all come. And that's why, with just the, in light of this, of what we talked about, um, what Jer prayed for in the National, prayer, prayer, National Day of Prayer for the persecuted church, these are our brothers and sisters. These are closer than my actual family, in a sense, because we are spiritually connected. And that's what's so important here is to understand the division. The world we live in wants to divide. It does. It wants to divide on color. It wants to divide on, on male and female. It wants to divide because if you can divide, you conquer, right? Divide and conquer is the strategy of the enemy. This should not be in the church, any part of the church. If God does not look at the exterior, why do we? Amen? Let's stand together, please. Lewis, if uh, you've got uh, wherever he is, there he is. Thank you, Lord. So it's a bit of a history lesson today. I trust it gives some, some um, greater digestion, maybe, to what the Scriptures say when you understand it a bit better. But we are thankful, Lord, for what you've done. We just proclaim the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that every one of us in this room come through you and are in you if we have put our faith in you. We just honor your name. We lift you high here. We say, Lord, have your expression. Have your articulation in this church and through this church. May the fragrance of Christ be upon us. May we speak with the accent of heaven. 
we want people to see the good works that flow out of this church and give glory to the Father as you did, Lord Jesus. We long to do the works of the kingdom. So have your way. I just pray for unity in this church. I pray against any division. Thank you, Lord. I thank you for the privilege it is, it's such, even in a smaller church, to have so many people from all manner of nation and tongue. And we embrace that, Lord God. The expression, Lord, of revelation. Lord, we just thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Just have your way. Just going to just end in the song here, just as we, uh, you ready to go, Lewis? Thank you, Lord.